I want to talk to you about a major elephant in the room, and it's so hard to talk about that oftentimes we just don't even talk about it at all. It's a painful subject, and it's not easy to talk about, but we have to talk about it. If we don't talk about it, we're missing out on something. And the thing that we need to talk about, the elephant that we need to talk about in the room is fatherlessness. Now, I want to give you some t statistics about fatherlessness. About a third of all childbirths in America right now are from families of a single parent, uh, where they, they occur outside of a marriage. And more than two-thirds of these cases, more than two-thirds of that one-third, are cases where the father's name on the birth certificate is just left blank. Now, there's lots of reasons for, or for fatherlessness. There's lots of them. Uh, we've got girls and women who have uh, unexpected pregnancies. We have uh, some women want a child, but they don't want a partner. There's uh, married women who can be deserted uh, or divorced uh, in a marriage, which is painful. Sometimes people live together, but, but they split up before the child is born. And, of, of, of course, a small percentage of people, there are widows or widowers, and they're left to care for a young child on their own. And one of the most consequential trends of the last uh, the last 40 years is the number of children that are growing up in father-absent homes. And this, is, this is really huge. And, and the impact of not having a dad in the home has turned out to be a really big deal. The implications of this have been huge. I want to share some statistics from the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, the United States uh, Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, let me read some stats to you. Uh, to encourage you this Christmas season. Uh, children in father-absent homes are five times more likely to be poor. Fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of school. Children of prisoners are five times more likely to end up in prison. Teens without fathers are twice as likely to be involved in early sexual activity and seven times more likely to get pregnant as an adolescent. And children living in single-parent homes also have nearly twice the risk of being physically or emotionally abused as children than when compared to living in a two-parent family. Now, what we're experiencing has never been really experienced in in human history, and there's a lot of social scientists and there's some op-ed columnists for large newspapers that would argue, well, we have. If you just look back 100 years ago, there was a huge amount of people that were dying in when, when they would raise kids, that they would lose one or both parents before the child was the age of 15. Now, that, that, would, that would be a counter-argument to this. Uh, but the, what social scientists and uh, amazing newspaper op-ed columnists aren't taking into consideration is the fundamental difference between losing a parent to death versus losing a parent to abandonment. Do you understand the difference? Losing a parent to death and losing a parent to abandonment are two very different issues. So David Blankenhorn, he's a social scientist, he's written this book called Fatherless America. I want to read a quote to you, and this really does hit home. When a father dies, a child grieves. I have lost someone I love. When a father leaves, a child feels anxiety and self-blame. What did I do wrong? Why doesn't my father love me? Death is final. He won't come back. Abandonment is indeterminate. What would make him come back? When a father dies, his fatherhood lives on inside the head and the heart of the child. In this sense, the child is still fathered. 
when a father leaves, his fatherhood leaves with him to wither away. The child grows up completely unfathered. So there's nothing like what we have when it comes to the deliberate loss of fathers in the United States, in modern America, in all of human history. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Here's the good news I want to share with you. Uh, The good news is that there are no certainties. There are no predetermined outcomes for those who are in a relationship with Jesus. Do you believe that? That if you were raised by a single mom, or if you are a single mother, if you are a person who had an absent father, if you had a person who lost your father to death, uh, or if you just had a bad father, there are no predetermined outcomes for those who are in a relationship with Jesus. For those who are in a relationship with Christ, there is hope and there is healing. And this Christmas, we've been looking at a single verse found in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah foretold about the coming of the Messiah who would become Jesus. And here's what we read in Isaiah 9-6. You can follow along with me. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And today we want to talk about that Everlasting Father, And without trying very hard, our entertainment culture paints a picture of the way dads, they think dads should be. If you turn on the TV, I'm just going to pause real quick. It's really loud. Was that an airplane maybe? All right, cool. I'm back. Now, when you turn on the TV, you see a lot of stumbling, inept, bad dads. Like maybe you remember growing up, you remember seeing Homer Simpson? He was like totally inept, but he loved donuts. Or a more modern version would be Peter Griffin, like a stumbling, bumbling, kind of an idiot, doesn't really know what's going on. The, that's kind of like when you turn on the TV, you go and you go like, why, where are all the good dads? Why does everyone seem to be a stumbling, bumbling? Every time I watch a commercial on TV, the dad is clearly a moron. And like, I don't know, like he can't even make a ham sandwich. Um, I don't know, I'm thinking of a reference of he couldn't even make a ham sandwich in a, in a commercial. And it was, it's really frustrating to watch that. All these dads, they're depicted as stumbling and bumbling idiots. Well, the interesting thing is, the portrayal of dads that we see on modern uh, television or on TikTok or Instagram or whatever kind of social media you follow, it didn't really just start with the advent of television or modern technology. What we see is that the Bible is full of a bunch of bad dads. Now, if you're writing in notes, the biblical record is bad fathers. Everywhere we look, there's dozens and dozens of stories of bad fathers. Just consider the terrible favoritism from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and David. Or you had kids that were undisciplined because the parents wouldn't step in and discipline them and they were totally out of control. That led to like uh, jealousy and strife and even sometimes murder. And when you look at the Bible, you see a bunch of bad dads and you see a bunch of dysfunctional families. It's not idealized stories of dads who like help their sons or daughters reach their fullest potential It's stories of bullies and drunks or people that showed favoritism or people who are passively fuming with anger behind the scenes. And so what I want to ask you, so like what what if you grew up with a dad like that? What if you grew up with one of these dads? What if you had a bad father? What if you had an inept father? What if you had an addicted father? 
What if you had a father that played favorites? What if you had an angry father? Or maybe you had an absent father. Either they were absent because he was working a lot or absent because he abandoned your family. What if you had a bad dad? What if you had a bad dad that wasn't there for you emotionally or mentally? It just wasn't a part of uh, your life. What if, what if he just wasn't around? Well, the biblical message is also this. Not only were there bad fathers, but there's hope for the fatherless. There's hope for the fatherless. For those who are in a relationship with Jesus, there's no determinisms. There's no inevitabilities. There's nothing that says that you are doomed and your children are doomed because you had a bad dad. And maybe you've heard the word determinism before. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but maybe you've heard the term determinism before. It is the belief of inevitability that things must turn out a certain way. But let me just say to you, let me just say to you, there's determinism all over our world, but let me just say to you this, determinism in all of its forms has been broken, has been broken by the saving death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I think of dads who never sit down and talk to their kids about sex or how to have healthy relationships or, con or how to manage conflict or how to deal with money. I think of dads who are explosive in their tempers, that get irritated all the time, that are too drunk, that can't hold a job or have no moral training, not teaching their kids to have any moral training. There's no godly example in the home. And what Jesus says is that there are no determinisms for those folks. There's no determinisms for those children. Do not listen to the lie that if you had a bad dad, that you had a, and if you had a poor relationship with your human father, that you must have a poor relationship with your heavenly father. Your dad, your earthly dad, doesn't determine your direction. Your earthly dad doesn't determine your future or your hope. And your father may have been abusive or neglectful or just absent altogether, but I tell you, God's spirit is so much more powerful then your dad, you do not need to project up into the sky your view of your dad onto your heavenly father. You don't have to do that because God, your father, offers you something different. And so here's what we can choose to believe. When we talk about these verses and we read about them, what we see is, uh, and you can see this in your notes, the reason Jesus came was to show us God our father. You know, some of us this Christmas... Uh, we need a new God. <laughs> we need a new God. And some of us, we come to church and we hear about God and we're supposed to, how God's supposed to love us and he's supposed to care about us. And we hear it in our brains, but it doesn't compute in our heart. Why is that? It's too hard for us. It's too difficult. It's too difficult to hear about God because of some, what some of us have experienced at the hands of our fathers. And this may be painful for some of you to hear. But the reason, the reason you may have certain struggles in your life and the reason you may have some of the problems you're currently having in your life is because you have the wrong idea about God. You think God is like a disapproving dad just waiting to get you, to wait for you to mess up. You think God's going to call you dumb. You think God is going to put you down and he's going to, or that he's super far away or that he's uninterested in you. The God you've been looking to is difficult to follow and believe because you've projected too much of your earthly father onto him. And if this is you, if you've projected too much of your earthly father onto your God, then you need a new God. And who is this new God? 
Who is this new God that you can look to? Well, I want to talk to you. I'm going to teach you a little bit of uh, the Jewish language again this week, and I'm super excited. Who's ready to learn a foreign language? Um, now, you know, uh, he, uh, we believe that Jesus uh, was, uh, was revealed to, to show us God the Father. And the ancient Jews had this notion of God the Father. Now, uh, God is mentioned, God the Father is mentioned 15 times in the Old Testament by the Old Testament prophets and the writers of the Old Testament. This is important. I'm going to have to put this together for you. But the, uh, when he's mentioned 15 times, it's always as uh, the God the Father of the nations. And, and it's never like just in a personal way. Uh, and here's the revolutionary thing. When Jesus came to earth and he started talking about God the Father, he uses a Jewish word to describe God as Father, and that is the word Abba. Abba. Can everyone say Abba? Say Abba. Yeah, everyone, I, see, I see some of you doing it. Can we try one more time? Ready? Abba. Uh, there we go. There we go. That was somewhat better. Um, I'm not as disappointed. Um, you know, and so, okay, so Abba, which means dad or daddy. Okay, and here's where, here, I'm just fascinated by this. Bible scholars tell us that nowhere in all of the wealth of Jewish literature produced by the ancient Jews do we have any instance of a Jewish person looking to God and calling God Abba, Father, Dad, Daddy. The first Jewish person that we have in all of recorded history calling God the Father, Abba, Dad, or Daddy is uh, Jesus of Nazareth. It's the only one. And the word Abba, it's likely to come from something that an infant noise, like you know how we would say dada, dada. They would say Abba, Abba. That's something that, that an infant could form. And it doesn't mean just daddy. It doesn't mean just daddy. It doesn't mean, it's not just a word that a young child would use, but it's a family word that would be used to describe a teacher or a rabbi. And so the term was so intimate and so familiar it was so familiar and so intimate that, uh, that, it, it, that Jesus used that, like, it, a generation later, that in non-Jewish contexts, they were still using the term Abba, Dad, or Daddy, uh, Beloved Father. And, and they were still trying to instruct new Jesus followers to call God Abba, Father, Dad. Now, here's the truth, and here's why this all matters. Um, none of us had perfect fathers, the Bible seems to indicate that every father that's ever existed is less than ideal, and none of us as men are ideal fathers. But Jesus reveals to us the Father. He reveals to, this, reveals to us this idea of Abba. 172 times the word Father appears on the lips of Jesus. Only two times does it appear on the lips of anybody else, uh, and that's in response to Jesus' use of the word Father. So we've got something here that Jesus came to show us that there is an intimate God that wants to draw close to you and to me. And I think that's important. So let's go through it. I'm going to give you three ways that Jesus came to show you God the Father this Christmas. You ready to write them down? Okay. The reason Jesus came to show us, to show us God the Father, the first one is he is generous. He is generous. In Matthew 7, 11, you can look at the whole chapter in context if you write it down now. But in Matthew 7, 11, Jesus said this, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
So I'd like to ask you uh, a question. I'd like to give you a test right now. It's a simple way for you to know if you view God as generous. Do you ask God for what you really want? Do you? Do you ask him for what you really want? Do you reveal to God what's going on in your heart? Do you tell God, Abba, Father, this is what I want. Are you willing to be specific and vulnerable about uh, what you think you need in your prayers? Are you specific in your prayers? And this, that is a test to know if you think of God as generous. Or do you use generalized, abstract prayers when you pray because you're nervous about God not being generous? So you think it's better to hedge and just do very general prayers. Like, it would sound like, Lord, just give me a spirit of peace today. And you would say, well, you know, I would say to you, like, you can't measure that. You'll never know. And it's safe. It's a safe prayer. Lord, grant me the ability to have a joyful presence with my coworkers. That sounds so lovely, but there's no teeth to it. There's nothing exciting about it, and it doesn't indicate to me of whether you not, or not you think God is generous. So tell God what you want. Tell your Father what you want. There are some of you, as I look around this room, who want to get married. Tell God, your Father, what you want. You don't need to hide that from God. God, I want to get married. God, I don't want to turn this into an idol in my life. I don't want to make it more importantly than you. But God, you are my Father. I look to you. Specifically, I'm asking, open the door for me to get married. Some of you are in marriages. And some of you are like, dear God, (laughs) I want my marriage to be healthier. God, I'm frustrated in my marriage. Father, uh, do you believe that God, your Father, is generous enough to heal your marriage? Do you feel that God, your Father, is generous enough to change you? But you aren't the one that needs to be changed. Is he generous enough to heal your spouse? Am I right? Yeah, (laughs) you're not the problem. They're the problem, right? Um, is, he, is he generous enough to rekindle the love that you once had? Is he, is he generous enough? You know, uh, some of you want to see someone in your life come to faith in Christ. Ask God for what you want. God, you are a generous God. I believe that. And I'm going to put myself out there in a vulnerable way, and I'm going to ask you. I would love for you to introduce, by the power of your spirit, to introduce them to your son, Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is generous? Do you believe that God is generous? And that's something for you to pray and consider. All right, that's the first one. That's the first one. Ready for the second one? Uh, Who is the God that came to show us through God the Father? God, he is generous. Second one, he is affectionate. Affectionate. I think of the story of the prodigal son. Uh, It's in the Bible. And there's this guy. He's like, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. The dad gives him the inheritance. And he goes away to a faraway land. And he spends all the money on wild living. On uh, all different kinds of things of wild living, you can imagine. Spends it all. He uh, finds himself pretty much broke, and then a famine hits the land, meaning, meaning there was no food. And there's a famine that hits the land, and he couldn't, he didn't have anything going on. He was going to die. And he goes, I'm just going to make a change. I'm just going to go back to my dad 
and I'm going to bury my head, you know, in my hands, and I'm going to say I'm sorry, and I'm going to ask my dad for forgiveness, and I'm going to ask if I can just be one of the hired hands. I can be like one of his employees. God, you know, he's like, Father, please uh, let me be one of your hired hands. And so he goes, I'm going to strike out and have that question, uh, and ask that question. And what we see what we see is as soon as he starts to do that, as soon as he kind of gets to the, the outside of the estate, of the farm where his dad is at, we read one of the most loving pictures in all of the New Testament. I'm going to read it to you. And uh, this, is the, the pro, this is the prodigal son. It's, so he got up and went to his father. And here it is. But while he was a, still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. When you pray, this is the God that you pray to. You have a heavenly Father that desires to draw close to you. He desires to put his arms around you. He desires for you to feel his touch in a way that demonstrates that he loves you, that he cares about you, that he's with you. And when you pray, you're praying to the God that served this prodigal son. And by the way, dads, if you're a dad or you plan to be a dad, or maybe you're not planning to be a dad, but you're going to be a dad soon, um, this is a great model. This is a great model for dads. Lots of ways, we learn a lot about how to relate to our children. Lots of tender touch, lots of expression, uh, and letting them know how we feel. And we should, at all costs, we need to avoid the macho masculinity of not showing our children or the children we plan to have how we feel, uh, as if it's some sort of weak thing. We don't want to do that. Uh, what we have in the biblical example is God the Father drawing close to someone that's not done so well with their life. Something for you to think about if you're a dad or plan to be in. Okay, third reason. First one was generous. Second one was affectionate. The third is purposeful. Purposeful. And here's what we know. God our Father does not crush our dreams. He's not like some of our heavenly fathers. Maybe they've said some mean things. Hey, you're not going to amount to anything. You're not good at math. I wasn't good at math. You'll never be good at math. <laughs> you're a loser. You're just not that good. You're just not that good. You're stupid. You're a failure. Instead, God our Father just does something different. In Jeremiah 29, this is what, this is what we read. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And you'd say, you know, Chris, if my heavenly Father is so purposeful, then, like, why isn't my life working better than it is? Why do I have so many problems? And I know, like, you know, you're not going to say that out loud to me. And if you do, wow, that's super brave. But don't, um, you know, why is my life not working better than it is right now? I've been out of work. I'm not doing the work that I want to do. 
I am single and I want to be married. I'm married and I want to be single. Uh, I am lonely. Things aren't going the way I want. I have financial problems. Like, if God is so generous, why is this not working? Where's the purpose in all of this? Well, there's a problem to that approach. When we look at God that way, we might be. We might be completely missing the point of what the Father's doing. And when we interpret our trials and our difficulties in ways different than what God means, you know, we might end up with a bad result. We might end up with a misinterpretation. The Bible tells us, all throughout the Bible, and you can do this, we can talk about it later if you need to, but the Bible tells us that the trials we go through, the difficulties that we are facing, the trials that we go through and the difficulties we are facing that we experience are proof of God's love rather than his neglect. They're proof of God's love. What do I mean by this? Well, think of in Hebrews, in chapter 12, in verse 5. I want to read this to you. This is pretty incredible. It says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as children? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his child. And I don't know how you feel about what you're going through, but many of the things that we're going through, that you're going through, are what C.S. Lewis would call God's severe mercies. Hardships aren't always just bad things. Hardships are proof that God's in it with us, that God is with you, that God loves you, that God's doing something. And you say, well, why should I be going through this? I don't deserve to go through this medical condition thing. I don't want to go back to the doctor again. Why should I be going through this with the person I love? Why, 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 what is going on with America's workforce, and why can't I do the work that I want to do? Why should I be going through this? Well, the writer of Hebrews says this as well. I'm going to read it to you. It's powerful. Moreover, we have all had parents who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Our parents disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see what I'm getting at there? Discipline doesn't seem pleasant at the time. It seems painful, but God uses it. Now, some of us, just as a caveat, some of us had dads who hit us, who hit us unnecessarily, and some of us had dads who screamed at us, who called us bad words, bad names. They were embarrassed by us. They were irritated by us. They were just like maybe had like they were too tired or had a hard day. They were neglected or they were, they were neglecting us or they were absent. But it is not so with God our Father. God disciplines us, not out of anger or irritation. God disciplines us. God allows difficulties. God allows things to come into our lives to move us to a place of holiness, 
to make us, whatever that means, I don't, I mean, maybe if you don't know what the word holiness means, it means to make us better, to make us better and more complete. He wants your thoughts, and he wants your attitudes and your words and your reactions to be completely like his son, Jesus. And God, our Father, puts us through the paces to make us fit for our future, to bring out of us the best version of ourselves. God doesn't make us go through these things in a purposeful way just to be spiteful and mean. He does so to make us better. And that's what he's doing in you. He is here. God, your Father, is purposeful in bringing about your total healing. Your total healing, not just in your body, not just in the people around you, but in your mind and in your heart and in your emotions and in everything. God is working towards your healing. He wants to take everything out of your life that keeps you from becoming emotionally healthy. He wants to get rid of it for you. And these disciplining moments, these trials and tribulations and difficulties help produce that good fruit in you. He is doing it as a father because he loves you and he wants the best for you. And, you know, this Christmas, we've got a heavenly father that loves us deeply. And it doesn't matter what your dad was like. You have God the Father, the everlasting Father, the one we read about in Isaiah, God our Father who desires to draw close to you. Amen? Amen. Why don't we all stand?